Hello, this is Lauren Carr, and welcome to Authors on iTours, a podcast devoted to authors, book bloggers, and other book lovers alike. Hello, welcome back to Authors on iTours, and this week we are thrilled to introduce you to Carol Giagrandi, the award-winning author of The Tender Birds, which will be touring with uh, Irie Book Tours, uh, launching on November 11th, and will be touring through November 22nd. Uh, Carol Giagrandi is the award-winning author of 10 books, including the novella A Gardener on the Moon, which is the winner of the 2010 Ken Klonsky Award, and the novel All That Is Solid Melts Into the Air, which won the 2018 Independent Publishers Good Gold Medal for Literary Fiction. Uh, Carol has worked as a broadcast journalist for CBC Radio, uh, which is Canada's public broadcaster, and her fiction, poetry, articles, and reviews have appeared in literary journals and in Canada's major newspapers. Uh, this is a really exciting uh, interview that we're going to have, in which we're also going to be uh, discussing her research for the Tender Birds. Uh, some of that research was with uh, working with falcons and hawks. So uh, you're going to want to sit back, put in your earbuds, and uh, listen away. Hello, Carol. Welcome to Authors on iTours. Uh, we're really excited to be talking to you today about your uh, latest novel, The Tender Birds. Uh, I guess first thing, why don't you uh, try telling our listeners a little bit about uh, your new novel? Um, the Tender Birds is the story of two people, two lonely people who are haunted by secrets and one peregrine falcon which can't fly. And the two people are, are Matt, who happens to be a priest, and Allison, who's a veterinary technician, and Daisy the falcon. And they all meet in a Boston parish. But the thing is that Matt and Allison met very briefly some years ago, but he does not remember that fact. But the slight meeting they had uh, was a turning point in her life that caused a lot of trouble for her. <laughs> and uh, uh, the, the novel is very much concerned with unraveling all of those things and uh, somehow how, how the presence of, of the falcon Daisy manages to um, alter their lives as well. Mm -hmm. Now, what inspired you to write The Tender Birds? Boy, you never know where inspiration is going to come, I'll tell you. <laughs> what happened, I, I was, I, I, by accident, I was online and I fell into this webcam that was sponsored by the New York Times that showed these two red-tailed hawks that were nesting on a, on a window ledge at, the, uh, at New York University. And they, they were nested there. And they laid their eggs and raised their chicks and did all that stuff. And uh, there was a, a chat room around it. And I don't know which was more interesting, the, the nest, which was so, so incredibly wonderful to watch, or the chit chat about the nest, which was a, kind of like a virtual nest that surrounded the real one. And I kept thinking, I've got to write something about this. And these little thoughts were the germs of the novel that eventually came to be. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, now these were hawks that you saw at the New York University, or they? Yeah, they were they were red-tailed hawks. So that's a it's a, it's a large enough bird, and it's a fairly common bird in cities these days, uh, more so than it once was. Mm-hmm. But Daisy in the tender bird, she's a falcon. That's right. Uh, there's a difference between them. <laughs> yeah, there is. Well, they they're raptors, right? In other words, they're birds of prey. And um, which means that they, they both hunt, often they hunt other birds and um, they, they hunt with their feet, where they have big claws and, uh, that, and they have extraordinary eyesight. That's what makes a bird of prey. But the hawks and falcons are, they're related, but they're, they're not the same bird. Uh-huh. And what role, now it sounds like what you, when talking about the tender birds, uh, Daisy plays an important role. What, what role does the falcon play? Well, I'll tell you, she, the, 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 she enters the story uh, because she has, uh, on her very first flight, she's in the city and she has an accident and crashes into a skyscraper and, and does a real damage thing to her wing. So she cannot go into the wild again. And she's found and delivered to an animal shelter where Allison is a veterinary technician. And so Allison fosters the falcon and raises her back to health and, and is licensed to take care of raptors like that. But um, uh, the, the falcon is... Um, a, relatively tame for her species because she can't hunt and she can't really fly, but she's a kind of an, a, 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 a companion, but she, she serves the role of humanizing people, which is a strange thing to say about an animal, but uh, she makes uh, people respond in different ways. And, and uh, Allison, for example, um, is a person who goes to church. Allison would bring her bird with her. And uh, it was, if you think about that, that'd be quite strange, but she was always well-behaved. She had a lot of raised eyebrows and this sort of thing, but um, uh, she caused people to think very hard about the relationship of uh, the natural world to the world of the spirit. And she also uh, had a spiritual dimension on her own, as at least Allison saw it that way. Mm-hmm. Well, it sounds like there's a lot more to this novel than just birds. Uh, so, 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 so what are you really writing about in, in the tender birds? Well, you know, one of the things that happens when you write is that it's really sometimes not until you get through the entire first draft of your novel that you know what you're writing about, because it, it somehow emerges naturally from the story that you're trying to tell. And there are a lot of little stories in this novel. And um, I, I realized as the further I got into it that I was writing about a loneliness that, and there's such a lot of loneliness that afflicts people today, but also that um, part of our loneliness comes from the the split we have between ourselves and the natural world, and uh, that we we don't connect very well outside of our screens or outside of our very immediate circle or whatever. And uh, it, it, I realized that these were all characters who, because of incidents in their lives, whether they were traumatic things or personal choices or whatever were alone and um, they, they probably always would be. But um, I realized that, uh, that somehow this is a state that a lot of people find themselves in. And I, I realized I was writing about that along with the, the split between uh, the human world and the natural world. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay, can you uh, say more about, about your characters and, and this loneliness? Now you mentioned that um, she brings uh, Daisy to church uh, is, is this a critique of uh, formal religion? Um, not a satirical one, but you know, the, 
you know, but there, there's no talk about religion, but, but what's going on there with her bringing Daisy to church? Well, this is interesting because um, one of the things I, I realized also as I was writing about it, that the, the story, and several people have said this to me, and it wasn't conscious, but that it's infused with the kind of faith and spirituality, but it's not stated, it's embodied in the characters. It's, it, it's shown in the way people behave or misbehave, as the case may be. And uh, that, that uh, the characters uh, take this on, um, they, the, there's a sense that um, uh, certainly uh, that you've, you read about this in a lot of criticism sometimes that Christianity uh, in its history uh, has divorced itself from nature, except for a few exceptions, and certainly that's changing now. But um, the the whole sense that um, I, there's a spirituality in these characters that comes through their lived experience, it's not something that you can put in the story. It just emerges through who they are. Mm-hmm. Well, now, how, how did you create these characters? Well, it's interesting. Um, Matt uh, was a character from another novel that I that I released several years ago and I wanted to find out what had happened to him he had a very interesting background so I I I, he was a young man in that novel so I I and he was a secondary character so I brought him back and gave him a little more of a focus um the the other way that the other common way you create characters and I find this analogy very helpful is um is the compost uh analogy which is to say that your whole life is like a compost bin you meet all kinds of people um, their lives go into your life and they all they all break down. And when you start to create characters, you're you're working with this sort of little bit of muck from <laughs> from all the people you've ever known. But it, it's you're not copying people. They Sometimes people think they're being used in your novel, but they're not. They're they're composites of a lot of different characters and, and people that have gone into it. I and, call them uh, a Frankenstein. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. what I call them. <laughs> it's a little bit like that, maybe, since it's close to Halloween. You can say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But, but it's, um, it's a funny process. It's, uh, when, when I started to learn about creative writing, I remember one instructor I had would give us a little sheet and say, write everything you can think of about this character, starting with where they were born, their hobbies, their, their best friends. Their, you know, it, was, it was quite a chore, but uh, you learn to be thorough. And sometimes I do that. I'll, I'll ask myself, well, what did this person study in school? Or who was their first boyfriend or girlfriend? And, and all this kind of thing. And uh, characters are built in any number of ways. And sometimes it, it's a bit like they talk to you, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> they're, they're in your head, you know, and they say, okay, you know. And often, though, when you're writing, uh, whatever you think, the character will, will start to act on his or her own and just... Um, uh, basically throw your plants apart and kick them out the window. That's kind of the way it might work. And uh, that's, uh, uh, that's kind of important. Mm-hmm. Well, now you mentioned uh, loneliness. Um, now, is that a very important theme in this story? Because you, you were saying that we're just divorced from. You know, from yeah, nature. I think, it, I think it is. I think um, both Allison, who's had a, a, some, some fairly traumatic experiences in her life, and Matt, who, who became a, a priest, and in a certain sense, it was, it was definitely a real calling, but he also was afraid of love, and that comes out very strongly in, in this book. 
And uh, so he's basically a celibate individual and he's tries to deal with all of that. So, but, but there are a lot of people in, in less strange circumstances that, that feel that kind of loneliness. And, um, and it's funny because uh, another uh, thing here about, about Daisy the Falcon, and you don't, you don't get to find out uh, why she's called Daisy unless you read the book. <laughs> but uh, it's a silly name for a falcon, but there's a reason for it. Um, but she's a peregrine falcon. And the word peregrine means pilgrim or wanderer. And I thought, wow, it, it, this metaphor was, was just given to me, you know, and I thought, how did this, you know, this is really good luck for me because the characters are like that. They're, they wander about, they, they drift, they move from place to place. Uh, they're all looking for something. And I think that, um, that that's something that, they're looking for connection, for connect, human connection, for animal connection, whatever. And uh, it, it, was, it was so appropriate to have that kind of a bird who uh, is a powerful bird, but a wounded bird. And, and, and she becomes a kind of a metaphor for the whole story. Mm hmm. Well, now uh, talk a little bit about your research. Now, now you mentioned uh, that the girl, what's her name again? Her Alice, Allison, Allison, because I keep remembering Daisy. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> so Allison, um, uh, you had mentioned homelessness. Was she or she had been through some trauma? Tra yeah, she's very. Yeah, so a very, she had a brief period of, of homelessness in the story. And and that ar arose out of a situation at home that was in, in, basically intolerable and, and uh, she was unable to handle it. But um, I, I do my research um, by looking around me and just seeing what's there. And I realized in the course of writing the story that because, you know, there's so much homelessness in big cities, you pick up things just by walking up down the street. You see people, you, 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 pay, you just have a sense of things. But also Toronto is a city that's that has a, a huge ravine system and it's really quite something and at, at one point I took a long walk through the ravines I started at the northwest part of the city and made my way around I was exhausted by the time I was done but I was tracing the route that that Allison would have walked uh, there's a, a part of the ravine and the east end of the city where a lot of homeless people live and I consider that their home so I wouldn't barge in on it but I know a lot about it and I know exactly, I mean, I've passed it many times and I, I've seen it. Um, so I, I keep my eyes and ears open when I'm, when I'm doing research. I, I look all over the place. And, uh, and also, uh, the other thing was that I had to learn about um, handling a falcon. Yeah, uh -huh. uh, you got a falcon. I, you went out oh, and no. got one. <laughs> no, that's it. That's not legal in your country or my country. Okay. <laughs> no, all right. that, you can't do that. But. Um, what I did was I went to a, a conservation area, a big park north of Toronto, uh, where they they are licensed to keep birds of prey, and they they uh, keep them there um, for demonstrations for school children and things like that. And um, I was they, they have a program there where you can uh, go behind the scenes and get to know birds of prey. And so I spent a, an hour or so, half an hour and a half. Uh, with a big hawk, <laughs> with a big red-tailed <laughs> hawk, and uh, I got to feed it and to walk it around. On it, had to put on a glove, and they showed they showed you how to hold it and how to hold the tethers because it's tethered, and what to do when it raises its giant wings so it doesn't get unbalanced. <laughs> how are you supposed to move your arm? Mm -hmm. And it it was a wonderful experience because 
I kept looking at this bird and I knew that he knew that I was there yeah. and he, you know, he'd look right into his eyes, but I also knew that this bird was a total mystery to me. Um, it was like, okay, he's got eyes, he's got a face, he's got, you know, he does all the things that animals do, but this, the sense of strangeness and something that I would never really understand was so present and it was very moving. And I, I, I loved that experience and I have a lot of pictures of it. And uh, actually the, when I had a video made for my book launch, the photographer got some of these pictures and put them in the video. It was really quite nice, uh -huh. but, uh, but it was, um, uh, a wonderful experience. I think anybody who's who's writing about birds or animals in any way should have the, the luck to do that and the opportunity to do that. Mm -hmm. Is that going to be on? Is that video going to be on your website? When it, you... It's on my. It's on my website now. Okay. All right. And, and just so I don't forget. So so what? Uh, what's your website for if listeners want to go go to your website and see this? Okay. Video? It's uh, www.caroljohngrande.com. Oh, okay. Oh, the spelling will be good for you listeners. <laughs> <laughs> I will, I, I should probably, gee, I'm going to do that again for you. How about that? My website is at www.caroljohngrande.com and that's spelled C-A-R-O-L-E-G-I-A-N-G-R-A-N-D-E. Mm-hmm. There you go. Okay, I hope all of our listeners got that. Now, now what? Now, uh, and well, you know, I bet you you had no trouble getting that domain. No. <laughs> no, not at all. I finally decided it was the best choice too. <laughs> well, now your book, your novel, it's set. Is it set in Toronto or is uh, set, now you mentioned or is it Boston? You made some mention of Boston. Most of most of it is in Boston, and there's a lot of flashbacks to Toronto. But uh, I lived in in the Boston area for. I lived in Cambridge, Massachusetts, for about a year and a half, uh, a few years back, and. Uh, uh, it was a fabulous experience because it's so dense with uh, life and uh, visual things and interesting people. And it was it was an amazing experience and a lot of history, of course. Uh, and uh, I I just mopped it up. I made a lot of notes. I, I didn't want to forget it because everywhere you go as a writer, you feel that there's a potential for something exciting to happen in your writing. So that that meant a lot to me. And also, I, 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 in the previous novel that I had written called All That Is Solid Melts Into Air, uh, Matthew uh, was based in Boston, so that was a big deal. Um, now, uh, Toronto, of course, I've lived in Toronto a long time, and I know it very well, so anything I wrote about it, I hardly needed to research except for those walks in the ravine. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, and uh, what now? What makes your novel now? Because it, 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 you know, it actually it's literary fiction. Um, but but what kind of makes it unique or different or set it apart from uh, from other novels? Well, you know, I think that at a time when we're so concerned about the the future of our planet, that the characters embody our relationship to non human life. Um, it's it's. Um, and I think that that so many people are looking for some way to relate to those ideas because, you know, you hear things in the news and it just goes right over your head. But when real people are involved and real characters that you can believe in, it gives you a means of thinking about things. I mean, and the characters grow and change a lot. And I mean, that's important in any novel, but it, it's quite significant in this one because it, it, there's a point in the beginning of the book where, where Allison says to 
to Matt. He says, would you like to hold Daisy? She's got her glove and she's got it all taken care of. And Matt looks at it and says, well, I think maybe I'd like just contemplate her maybe. But by the time, by the end of the book, there's a point at which he actually asks her if he can, if he can hold the bird. And she's so surprised, but it just shows that, that he's completely, there's a complete change that's happened from his remoteness to becoming a, a very much warmer human being. And, uh, and, and they're all good people. I, I think one of the things I enjoyed writing in this novel was to realize that with all their faults and problems, they were truly good people. And uh, they, were, they were definitely worthy of <laughs> the time I took to write them. <laughs> and you, you don't know, how, you know, characters are like children. You don't know how they're going to turn out. Uh, so, no. <laughs> you really don't is you can't force them to be something they're not and I, I don't know how to explain that it's 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 part of a dimension of writing that's kind of beyond articulation and I think that's really good in that because so much literature nowadays or, or some even people the way we view each other it's either black or white yes and, and you're either good or you're bad correct you know? and, yeah and, and it actually adds some depth to the characters that they're not all bad or they're not, you know, you don't take one thing and make them all bad. Right, right. But no one would believe you because real life isn't like that. People are not all bad or all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're all works in progress is basically yeah, what Yeah, exactly, <laughs> for, for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, well, well. so uh, now the Tender Birds, it is going to be, uh, it's, it's touring with iReads on uh, November 11th uh, through November 22nd is your book tour. Now, is the book out now? Yes, it is. Oh, okay. So because I remember at one point it was on uh, pre-order. So it's on, out now. Uh, and why don't you tell readers a little bit about where they can get it uh, and the publisher? Sure. The publisher, it's Inanna Publications. That's spelled I-N-A-N-N-A. And uh, if you Google Inanna Publications, you will find the website and you can order from them directly. Or you can go through Amazon. Um, and uh, if you're in Canada, you can go through Indigo Books. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, well, thank you very much for stopping by, Carol. Uh, You're welcome. Our, can you tell our readers your website again so that they can yep. see the video and uh, learn more about your book on your website? I sure will. It's www.caroljangrande.com, and I'll spell it for you. C-A-R-O-L-E-G-I-A-N-G-R-A-N-D-E.com. Okay. Well, thank you very much for stopping by today, Carol. You're welcome. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us. You have been listening to Authors on iTour, music written and performed by Anita Alger. This is Lauren Carr with iRead Book Tours, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm -hmm.